Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 89 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and we have a very loaded and interesting episode for you guys today. A lot going on with the team, especially for this early point in the season. We've got a lot of different things that I want to touch on and discuss, a lot of topics to get to. I also want to make sure that I mention right off the top who our guest will be this week. This is going to be a topic that's more of a big picture thing that we're going to address with our guest, whereas a lot of the rest of the episode is going to be devoted to all the things that are going on surrounding the Rangers and this losing streak that they're on right now. But the guest for this week is going to be Hart Levine. He is the founder of Puckpedia. Puckpedia, to me, is one of the best hockey resource websites you can get as far as salary cap information roster transactions, information about players and agents. So Puckpedia and Cap Friendly are my go-tos. I think they're probably the most widely used sites for that type of stuff around. Hart has been on this show once before, and the reason that he came to mind for me and I reached out to him is because I feel like almost every week, if not every week on this podcast, I mention the salary cap accrual process and how important that is for the Rangers as we look ahead to the trade deadline and they try to shave as much financial flexibility as they can so that they have the room to add players at the deadline. So because I've mentioned it so much and I know I've tried to explain it in the way that I understand it and I've talked a lot about where the Rangers sit as far as their current salary cap space and where they hope to get to, by the time we get to March, which is when the trade deadline is, I asked Hart to come on so that he could break it all down for us. He's going to try to explain it in layman's terms. He's going to give us exactly where the Rangers stand right now. He's going to talk about the damage that the Rangers have done to their cause so far by carrying 23 men for the most part up to this point in the season and why it's important for them to get down to 22. He'll give us some projections for how much space the Rangers potentially could have at the deadline. Hopefully, you guys will come out of that with a good feel for the salary cap situation with the Rangers right now and the accrual process. So let's put that aside for now and let's talk about everything going on with the team. And as I touched on, there's a lot because the Rangers have have hit this little patch of adversity 14 games into the season, just about a month into the season. They've lost three games in a row, but to me, what's even more glaring is that if you go back to their last 12 games, they won their first two, as you guys will probably remember, 
Probably their best performance of the year was on opening night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Then they went to Minnesota and beat the Wild. But since then, in the 12 games since, the Rangers have lost eight of them. They've picked up points in some of those games. There have been overtime losses and shootout losses. So they they have gained points in some of those situations. But if you just look at wins and losses, in the last 12 games, the Rangers have only outright won four of them. So that is not good. That is causing some unrest among the fan base. It's causing, I think, some mixed emotions for the players and the coaching staffs themselves. I've been sensing a tug of war, if you will, between the thought process that it's early and there's some underlying stuff that looks pretty good and we need to be patient. There there are some people in those camp, in that camp, I should say, some fans and and I think some players and Gerard Gallant in some instances have, have tried to stress like, look, some good things are happening here. The results will come. But there's also those who increasingly seem to feel that the Rangers do need to act with urgency and you can't just let losses pile up and expect that eventually things are going to come around. The Metro division is shaping up to be tough and deep. And while it's way too early to start saying, oh, the Rangers are this far out of a playoff spot, I'm I'm not going to be writing that in every game story this early in the season. But you can see the playoff race could shape up to be tight. And if you dig yourself into too deep of a hole at this point in the season, you're going to have to climb out of that hole and you could be making things really difficult on yourselves moving forward. So I think that there's been this sort of back and forth about how to feel about what's been going on with the team. Gerard Gallant did turn up the heat following Sunday's overtime loss to the Red Wings. We all saw what he did in the third period of that game. He put the lines in a blender. He was clearly not happy with the way that his team was playing. The most notable thing that happened in that game was he demoted Chris Kreider all the way down from the top line to the fourth line. And then after the game, came out pretty forcefully and said Kreider deserved it. Now, we've talked about Gallant as a guy who protects his players. I do think that he has an understanding that Kreider has thicker skin than most. Maybe he made a little bit of an example out of him, however you want to interpret it. But it was pretty jarring to see him make that move. And since then, there's been multiple line changes. So I think that Gallant kind of picked his spot after that loss to Detroit to say, hey, here's a wake-up call for you guys. Interestingly, after the loss on Tuesday to the Islanders, in which the Rangers had a 3-1 to lead going into the third period and blew it, Gallant took a different approach. After that game, he was talking a lot about how he thought the team played well enough to win. He thought they deserved to win. He, he wasn't very critical about that third period collapse that they had. He didn't think the Rangers allowed too many quality scoring chances. It just so happens, as he put it, the Islanders happened to score on all three scoring chances that they got. He was also upset, although he didn't want to talk about it much. He was upset about the fact that the referees clearly missed a tripping call from Oliver Wallstrom on Capo Caco right before the game-winning goal from Anders Lee. I'm sure many of you have gone back and watched that replay. It was definitely a blown call, and you could argue it cost the Rangers the game. But at the same time, 
it was another night where they were in position to win and they found a way to lose. It's kind of the opposite of what we saw a lot of last year. So I think while Gallant a lot of times kind of shoots from the hip and he's a pretty straightforward guy when you ask him questions in these press conferences, I do think he was somewhat conscious of after that Detroit game, he had picked his spot and said, I'm going to try to send a message here. And I don't think he wanted to go back into that well for the second game in a row. I I think he wanted to convey more calm. I think he didn't want to express any panic this early in the season. And so he was pretty mild as far as his disappointment after that loss against the Islanders. The locker room was a different story. To me, this was probably the most somber atmosphere that we walked into in a postgame so far this season. I'd argue it was the most demoralizing loss of the season so far for the Rangers when you factor in everything. You factor in that they had come off of this loss against Detroit where they shook up the lines and and this message was sent by demoting Chris Kreider and benching Zach Jones and moving all these guys around. And they seem to be putting an emphasis on that game against the Islanders as the one where they would step it up, the one where they would change the narrative. And instead, they maybe fell apart isn't the best description, but Regardless of how you think they played in that final period against the Islanders, they gave up three unanswered goals and they didn't respond by scoring any of their own and they end up coming out with another loss. So I think when you add up all of those things, the players felt down to me. They felt like they were searching for answers and not quite sure what to make of of the way that things have gone down. And you heard guys like Jacob Truba and Vincent Trocek and Artemi Panarin and Adam Fox all come out and say, we need to correct this. So I think the tone from the players is very much, hey, earlier on, it was kind of easier to dismiss some of these losses and say it's only one game and we'll get better, but we need to increase the urgency right now. That, that at least was the sense that I got, which was a little bit different from what we were hearing from their coach. The the most interesting thing about the losing, I think to me and to a lot of you as well, is statistically, if you look at this Rangers team, they're grading out much better than what we saw for the most part last season. You could look at a variety of categories, and we've talked about this before. I know know people don't always want to hear about expected goals. Obviously, they're better in that category. But you look at simpler stats, shots, scoring chances, both for and against. The Rangers are winning those battles by significant margins on most nights. You look at the Islanders game. The Rangers had about 40 shots on goal. The Islanders only had 26, yet the Rangers are on the losing end of that. It just seems like... Last year, when they were getting caved in and they were constantly under siege, they were finding ways to win those games. We know in a lot of ways that was because of Igor Shesterkin, but it just feels like everything this year is like the opposite. And we talked about this on last week's episode as well. If you look at their actual goal rate versus their expected goal rate, and again, expected goal rate is going to calculate based on the quality of your scoring chances, how much should you be producing, their actual goals rate at five on five is 44% right now. So they've 
allowed more goals than they've scored. But if you look at their expected goal rate, it's almost 55%. It's one of the best rates in the league. And you look at their scoring chances and all these stats that they're accumulating, they rank near the top in a lot of these categories. So it just makes it more perplexing because you're saying, okay, last year the knock on this team was that they were constantly getting outshot. They were constantly pinned in their own zone. They were constantly relying on their goaltender to bail them out. They're not doing those things as much this year. They look for at least spurts in these games like they're better and the statistics look way better. So why are they losing more? And when you add all that up, I think it it makes you feel a little bit more like, okay, this is not necessarily time to panic. Things should get better. But as both the captain Jacob Truba and Gerard Gallant have said in the last 24 hours, at the end of the day, the scoreboard is the most important stat. And right now the Rangers are getting beat fairly consistently on the scoreboard. We also need to look under the hood a little bit more to try to figure out, okay, well, the stats are better than they were last year, but they're losing. There has to be reasons for why they're losing. And I do think that there are tangible explanations that we can point to as far as this poor win-loss record right now. One of those is finishing. And we're gonna I'm gonna reference one stat here, but I think it goes beyond just the stats. The shooting percentage for this team last year was 10.5%. This year, it's 8%. So that might not sound like a huge difference, 2.5%, but it is very, very significant. The Rangers, as far as finishing, they're in position for a lot of these scoring chances. And I mean, think about it. In the last week, I can name off the top of my head at least six instances where I've seen them hit the post. Or something has happened. There was also the goal, uh, I'm sorry, the breakaway opportunity for Jimmy Vesey at the end of the Islanders game where Varlamov makes an initial save and then the puck is rolling back and almost crosses the goal line, but the goaltender covers it up right away. It just feels like there's been a lot of these instances where they're in position to score and they're just not converting at the same rate that they were last season. The five-on-five actual goal numbers are not good right now. The Rangers are are over-reliant on their power play, which when it's clicking, listen, that's the formula for this team to win. But to really be a true top team in the league, you need to be able to score consistently at five on five. And the Rangers aren't doing that right now. So we could maybe the quality of the shots isn't as good as last year, but the shooting percentage, when you look at it, it tells you, hey, the shots are up as far as what the Rangers are taking but how many of those shots are going in is down. So they're not finishing. They're not scoring enough flat out at five on five right now. And that's a clear problem. I do think there have been some glaring defensive lapses. I do think that they still have this penchant for being sloppy with the puck at times, whether it's when they're transitioning through the neutral zone or breaking out of their own defensive zone. We've seen turnovers lead to odd man rushes for the opposition too often. That's a point that Gerard Gallant has harped on, and it's something that the Rangers need to clean up. Although I will note that I thought they were even worse at that last year. I thought there were more glaring instances of these turnovers leading to scoring chances for the other team last year. But 
it's still happening. So it's still something they need to get better at. It's still something they need to clean up. I don't think the forechecking has been as consistent as it was last season, especially at the end of the year and in the playoffs of the Rangers. I just don't think every game I'm noticing them hounding pucks, smothering opponents, making it difficult for them to advance forward on the ice. And as we know, that is a pillar. That is one of the only things that Gerard Gallant consistently asks of his team is he wants them to be an aggressive forechecking team. And I just don't think we've seen enough of that from the Rangers so far. I do think that part of that especially when you look at that bottom six when they did not have Philip Heedle while he was hurt. He's back now, but while he was hurt especially, there's not a whole lot of speed up and down this lineup. And I think that's something that you're not necessarily going to change with the current personnel. I think it's something that the Rangers need to address at the trade deadline and moving forward for future seasons. I I do think that if you can get better skaters, that's going to help you become a better forechecking team. I also think that you can look at a couple instances and a couple players individually. I know right now the Keandre Miller Jacob Truba pair is taking a lot of heat, and in some ways it's deservedly so because if you look at their numbers, they've been on the ice together for five goals that the Rangers have scored, and they've been on the ice together for 13 goals that the opposition has scored. So that is very unbalanced. I think Truba, in particular, to me, has not quite looked like himself. Gerard Gallant admitted after Wednesday's practice when Trouba was out again for a maintenance day, he's had a number of those in the last few weeks, that Trouba is dealing with some nagging injuries. So something is quite clearly off on him. I mean, I've had fans reach out that want to see the guy benched. What's the alternative, I would ask you? Your your top right-handed defenseman in Hartford right now might be Andy Lewinsky. I don't think you want to go down that road. So they're going to keep playing Truba unless the injury worsens. But he's had a shaky start to the season. I definitely think the better defensive pair for the Rangers has been Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. But now Lindgren missed the last two games with an injury, although it does sound like he'll return for Thursday's game in Detroit. So I just think you add all that up. The defense has been shaky, maybe not quite as shaky as it was last year, but still needs to get better. And then maybe the biggest thing of all, and and this is like the topic that I feel a lot of people around the Rangers are kind of walking on eggshells when it comes to addressing, but it needs to be addressed. And that is that Igor Shosturkin while the numbers are, are okay, they're solid. He's got a 9-10 save percentage right now through 10 starts. He's looked human. He has not been the Superman that he was last year. And as we all know very well, his excellence last season covered up a lot of the warts for the Rangers. And if you don't have the goalie standing on his head and single-handedly winning games for you the way that he was last season, well, it's going to be harder to cover up these other blemishes that we're talking about. And I think that has been one of the main reasons why the Rangers haven't pulled out a few more of these close games. If you get a key save from Igor against the Islanders or against the Red Wings, that changes the outcome of those games. And so... To me, Igor looks, uh, I don't want to say bad. I don't want to misrepresent here, but we're holding him to such a high standard because of what he's accomplished last season. 
that when he's a notch or two below that, and he's definitely at least a notch or two below that right now, then it stands out to you. And you could look too on a start-by-start basis. He's had some, some very good starts, but in five of his 10 starts, his save percentage has been 900 or worse. So that tells you he's not at the level that he was last year. You can look at some of the advanced numbers as well. His goal saved above average ranks 26th in the league right now. Last year, he was number one in pretty much all of those advanced stat categories for goalies. So Igor looking a little bit human. I mean, listen, I don't think that there's a big reason for concern here. I do wonder a little bit if all the starts that he had last year and and all the playoff starts and that deep run playing more than he ever had, is he maybe feeling the effects of that a little bit early in the season? I think it's a legitimate question. But I do think that there are a lot of reasons to feel confident that this guy will get get on track. Every goalie, whether you're Henrik Lundqvist or you're a bottom-of-the-barrel kind of guy, they all have hot and cold streaks, and you do expect that at some point Igor will get hot. But if we're looking for reasons as to why the Rangers are not winning at the clip that many people expected them to so far this season, I think we do have to throw Igor into that mix. And then the, the last thing that I would note here as one of the one of the differences for this team between winning and losing right now, and this is something that Gallant harped on during Wednesday's press conference, he talked about the little things. And I know that's coach speak. I know that might sound kind of lame to some people, but I do think if you watch this team on a nightly basis, as I do, and I know many of you do, you can see these little aspects of the game that the Rangers aren't winning at right now. To me, they're not doing a great job of clearing the crease. We've seen guys like Truba, and again, maybe he's, he's, he's injured and that might have something to do with it, and not having Ryan Lindgren hurts you here as well. But the Rangers just don't seem to be clearing the crease and protecting their goalie and recovering rebounds and just pushing guys out of those high danger areas as well as they were at the end of the season last year. So I think that there's something to that. I think they're not winning enough puck battles, whether it's in their zone, in the offensive zone. I just think that they need to get a little hungrier in those situations. I think they're not getting as many tips and rebounds and net front opportunities of their own like they were last year. Chris Kreider is a prime example of that. He's been in position a lot of the time to score, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking and working like it did last season for the Rangers. And, And that just overall knack that they had for coming back and pulling out games late. It felt like last year, every time the Rangers were in a situation where the game was tight late and they had a chance to win, they found a way. And right now, the sense is the opposite. They seem to be finding ways to lose these games. And this is all stuff that figures to even out over time. But I also don't think that they can just expect these things to happen. Adam Fox, I thought, put it really well after the game on Tuesday. He said, we can't rest on what we did last year. And I think that that is a lesson that this Rangers team is learning right now. We talked about it a couple weeks ago when I had Ryan and Greg on the podcast. It felt like the regular season this year in some ways was less significant for this team because ultimately they're going to be judged by what they do in the playoffs. But you can't just assume you're going to get to the playoffs. You got to play well. You got to build and build and build toward that ultimate goal. And I, th- 
I think, I don't know for sure. I asked a couple players about this today, and of course they're going to downplay it. But I do think that there's a little something to just going through the motions as opposed to being that hungry team that's, that's anxious to prove itself. And I think the Rangers need to get back a little bit of that hunger and go out and earn the right to get into the playoffs and then compete for the ultimate prize, which is what we know they want to do. So all that being said, I do still find myself a little torn as far as the lineup goes. That's kind of why I want to wrap things up here. The, the line changes have been frequent. We saw more again today at Wednesday's practice. I do think there were a lot of reasons to consider sticking with what they had, and that would be Kako on the top line with Kreider and Zabanajad, and then Lafreniere on the second line with Panarin and Trocek. You look at, you go to like a site like moneypock.com, for example, that those two lines ranked among the best in the NHL as far as the chances that they were creating. So there were reasons to say, okay, let's stay the course, let's not panic, and let's give these lines more of a leash and see if these underlying numbers that we're, that we're seeing will translate into goals. But there was part of me that also felt like, okay, they do need some kind of a wake-up call, and maybe it is time for some changes. And I wrote about this in a column that went up on Tuesday morning on loha.com slash sports slash rangers. If they were going to go in the shake things up direction, I think that what we saw at Wednesday's practice is closer to the right answer than what we saw in Tuesday's game. Tuesday's game felt very jumbled, what Gallant put out there. He did try Panarin and Zibanejad together. It didn't look great. It's hard to judge it off of one game, but it didn't pop or jump out at you and make you feel like they got to stick with that for a while. To me, what I wrote on Tuesday was, if you're going to make changes, I think the best way to spark this team is to reunite the kid line. The kid line during the playoffs was massive for this team because it gave them another line outside of those top two that they rely on so heavily that felt like a threat every time they came over the boards. And we know that during training camp, Gallant wanted to stick with them. He started that way to begin camp. He, he wanted to do it. He told us multiple times that he liked the idea of keeping them together. Ultimately, because of the lack of depth at right wing, they came to the conclusion that they needed to move Kako up and they needed to flip Lafreniere over. And and it makes sense because those guys deserve to play top six minutes. But if you're looking to light a fire, to me, because of what we saw from the kid line last year, it made a lot of sense to put them together. And then Wednesday's practice, that's what we saw. Funny enough, I was walking by Gerard Gallant after practice, just, you know, quickly said hello. And he said, hey, Vince, I liked your lines. So I thought that was kind of funny. We've talked about this before. It goes to show that he does he does read what we write, which is kind of interesting. And I appreciate for sure. Uh, but it was also kind of a funny moment there because I knew that he was thinking about it. I, ha- I had a very strong inkling that the kid line was going to be on the table if they were going to change up the lines. And that's what we saw on Wednesday. And I think it makes sense. I want to see how it, how it looks. The problem is... Now you look at that top six and you feel like you see some holes because they reunited Kreider and Zabanajad on the top line. They're going to have Jimmy Vesey at right wing. And listen, Jimmy Vesey has been solid, but are you overexposing him in a top line role? We're going to find out. 
And then the second line went back to what we saw at the start of training camp, and that is Artemi Panarin, Vincent Trocek, and Vitaly Kratsov. Kratsov has a lot to prove. I know we've talked about this at length in the podcast before, but what are your alternatives at this point if you're the Rangers? I, I thought he looked a little bit better than he had previously when he returned to action against the Islanders. The skill didn't jump at you a whole lot. We've talked about the confidence and how important that is for him and how he's still kind of feeling his way around. But I saw effort. And at this stage, that's the most important thing as he gets more comfortable. He seemed to be back checking hard. He seemed to be skating pretty well. I thought that the effort was there. Gallant echoed that as well. And now he's giving him a big opportunity to play on that second line again. So we'll see how it plays out. I kind of liked the idea, if they were going to move Kreider down, of keeping him on the third line, playing him with maybe Trocek and Goudreau or maybe even Gautier, guys that can skate well to create a line that you feel like has the speed to forecheck effectively. I kind of liked that idea. That's what I wrote the other day. But we knew inevitably that it was likely Kreider would be reunited with Mika, and it didn't take long because that's what we saw on Wednesday. So we'll see how these lines play out. But I do wonder if the kid line will be a spark. That's obviously what the Rangers are hoping for as they go to Detroit for that game on Thursday night. The kids seemed excited. I I spoke to Philip Hito for a while today. They obviously like playing together. He wouldn't come out and say it, but I do know deep down that what they want more than anything, they don't mind playing together. They enjoy playing together, but they want to have significant minutes and be used in key situations. And I think that's going to be an important thing to keep an eye on. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when we look at this lineup and we talk about the holes, we can talk about line changes. It still does feel increasingly likely and increasingly obvious that the Rangers are going to need to fortify this roster. They are at least one piece in my opinion, in the top nine short. And that is why this next conversation that you're about to hear with Hart Levine of Puckpedia is important. Because if the Rangers want to be in a position to add someone at the trade deadline the way that they did last year and create more depth in the lineup and become a team that is more likely to make a run in the playoffs, they need to clear some cap space. And with that, I want to transition here and get to our conversation with Hart. Now let's welcome into the show a man who is going to help us hopefully come out of this with a better understanding of the salary cap and the accrual process and all this stuff that we've talked about on a a handful of episodes, but now we're going to try to gain a better understanding of it. And that would be Hart Levine. He is the founder of Puckpedia. It's a great, great resource. I definitely encourage everybody to check out their website where you can find rosters and up-to-date salary cap figures and all that kind of stuff. You can also find them on Twitter. So Hart, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is the second time you're on. So this is this is definitely good. And the reason that I had you in mind is because I feel like it's been almost weekly on the podcast that I've mentioned the accrual process and how important that is to the Rangers as they look ahead to the trade deadline when they're hoping to have as much cap space as possible. We saw how they utilized that last year, how important it was for them to make those moves that fortified the roster going into the playoffs. They'd like to do that again, but this is a much different situation for them. Last year, they were flush with cap space. This year is very much the opposite. 
So we're going to get into the specifics of their roster construction and all that, but let's start with, with this just to, maybe you can probably do a better job than I do just in the simplest possible terms. Can you explain the accrual process to the listeners here? Sure. So the way that the salary cap works is it's a daily cap calculation. Um, this season, there's 185 days in the, in the cap calendar. So uh, every day that a player is on their roster, you take this, their annual cap hit. So let's say they have a million dollar cap hit and each day that they're on the roster, 1 million divided by 185 is charged to the team's cap. Um, and so if you think about it, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's just based like math that you might've learned in high school of how some of that works, like fractions and things like that. But basically if you, as you go further in the season and you added then a, a player's cap hit, there's going to be less days for that player to get charged. So let's just take that million dollar player's example. You add him on the first day of the season, obviously he's going to count a million dollars against the cap. You add him at exactly the midway point of the season, he's only going to be charged 500,000 against the team, the new team's cap. So if you kind of work with that methodology, by the time you get to the trade deadline, there's only a little bit of the season left. So you can add, you know, about 4.4 times the player's annual cap hit, um, which we can get to that number is just, there's 185 days in the season. At the trade deadline, there's 42 days left. So 185 divided by 42. So a team, however much cap space they project to have for the full season, they can add that times 4.4 at the trade deadline because, again, a player is only going to count for 42 divided by 185 of their annual cap hit if they get added at the trade deadline. And, of course, not everybody gets added at the trade deadline, but it's the same math. So, again, if a player got added, you know, um, with 100 days left in the season, you would take their annual cap at times 100 divided by the 185 days. So it's just basically like the a fraction math. And, um, yeah, that's how it works. And that's why for teams like the Rangers that are under the cap, it's really important um, that they sort of maximize their cap space each day because it really accrues and builds up. And it's also why they're better able to make trades later in the season. Um, luckily, the Rangers aren't an LTIR team, but they have a real advantage because an LTIR team cap space does not accrue. So if they have, you know, um, 100,000 in the space at the start of the season, that's only worth 100,000 at the deadline. So teams like the Rangers have a huge advantage over LTIR teams. Um, as you get later in the year, they can take on a lot more cap space kind of relative to how much space they have available. And as of right now, it's about half of the league is in LTIR. So as you start to get to the trade deadline, if the Rangers kind of stay out of that, they do have an advantage as like a competitive team that's going to be aggressive at the deadline that actually with that way cap space accrues, they'll have more available um, than some of their competitors looking to add. And, and an interesting side note on that, because the LTIR thing that enables you to add players to your roster. But as you said, it it won't allow you to accrue cap space heading toward the deadline. So that's a, definitely a reason you want to avoid doing that if you can. Interestingly, a question that's come up and I learned the answer to not that long ago, and I think it'd be good for the audience to understand this as well, is when you place a player on regular injured reserve, which I think only requires them to spend a, a week or 10 days, seven days, uh, yeah. seven days. Yeah. Seven days on injured reserve that allows you to call up another player. So let's say if you're at the maximum 23 man roster, you can add a 24th player by putting somebody on IR. But the caveat is it doesn't save you any cap space. You have to have enough cap space to fit that player. I'm, I'm, I'm correct on that. So like if you, if you want to add somebody on IR, and then call somebody up. You're allowed to do that, but you have to have the cap space to fit them because you're still playing, uh, paying the player on IR. 
Exactly. Yeah. The, the easy way to think about it is everybody counts against the cap, whether they're healthy or on or injured, whether they're on injured reserve or long-term injured reserve LTIR, they always count against the cap. The only difference is LTIR get, allows you to exceed the cap by a certain amount. But again, whether it's regular IR or long-term IR, they're still counting against the cap. So that's from the cap perspective. And then from a roster perspective, a team can only have, up. basically a team has to have between 20 and 23 active, healthy players. And so once you, if you have injured guys and you move them to IR, that opens up a spot um, on the, on the maximum 23 active roster. But to your point, they still continue to count against the cap. So there's teams um, we can look and there's teams that you know, they might actually have 27, 28 guys counting against the cap um, because they have many on IR and up to the maximum 23 healthy active guys. So in the Rangers case, they have a few guys that are banged up right now. Ryan Lindgren is at the top of that list. But putting him on IR doesn't really help them because they're currently sitting on roughly $200,000 in cap space. That's not enough room to call anybody up. Therefore, the Rangers are just going to wait it out with Lindgren and hope he gets healthy as soon as possible because they they can't call anybody up unless they send somebody down uh, to the minors. And that would require, in most cases, putting them on waivers. So. I'm getting a little sidetracked, but I did I did want to go over that just to answer what's a pretty frequently asked question I find from fans. Getting back to the accrual stuff now. So the Rangers, like if you look on Puckpedia at this moment, the way that they started the season with everybody at their full salary, their cap space is uh, roughly 174, just a little under $174,000. But because of the accrual process that Hart laid out, their current cap space, they've basically added a little bit each day, is now at 203000 or so in cap space. So that, that explains what, what we were getting at there about how each day they've added a little bit. And as we sit here, we're recording this on Monday, November 7th. The Rangers are now at 203500 it looks like, thousand in current cap space. So they've accrued a little bit, but it's been a very steady, slow March for them. Not quite what they were hoping to be. And then this is what I wanted to lay out a little bit with you here, Hart, their, their current situation, because they have the full 23 man roster. If they stick with this, which I know was not their plan to begin the season, but because of these injuries, it's kind of forcing them to do so. If they stick with this 23 man roster, how much are they really looking at at the trade deadline? Yeah, so you you laid it out perfectly, and it's exactly what we talked about, how the, the math works on the days on the roster. So their projected cap space through the end of the year, so if they didn't make any roster moves, they would finish the season with 174000 of cap space. Um, we're 27 days into the season, so there's that means there's 143 days left. So that 174000 you could – you could, if you work backwards to that math we talked about, you could add two hundred and four thousand of cap space right of cap hit right now, and two hundred and four thousand times one hundred and forty three divided by one eighty five would get you to exactly the one hundred and seventy four thousand of cap space they had for the end of the year. So again, one hundred and seventy four thousand projected for the end of the year. That means you could add two hundred and four thousand today, and that would put them at exactly zero at the end of the season. And so if we keep doing that math and move further out into the calendar out to the trade deadline where there's only 42 days left um, in the season, they would have 766,000 of annual capita that they could add to the trade deadline. So again, 174,000 of cap space projected for the year. That's worth 204,000 
of cap of cap hit they could add today. But if they waited with no roster move, that grows to seven hundred and sixty six thousand at the deadline. So if they stand pat with the twenty three man roster that they have right now, we're talking about less than eight hundred thousand in salary cap space at the deadline. And as many of you would imagine, that's not going to get you a whole lot. That the, the veterans minimum is seven hundred and fifty thousand. So you you basically can afford a player on that salary, and that would be that would be the extent of it. So the Rangers, as you look forward to the trade deadline, it's not sustainable for them to keep this twenty three man roster if they want to be in a position to make an impact move. We we've talked about this before on the podcast. I believe, and I've I've heard this from some reliable sources, that their their plan, their hope was to carry a 22-man roster for the majority of the season if they could get away with it. Now, that would have put them at more like 900,000 in available cap space to start the season. And based on what Hart told us, you can roughly take that 900,000 figure and multiply it by 4.4. Had they maintained 22 men throughout the season they would have projected to have $4 million or if not a little bit more by the time they got to the trade deadline. And that would have given them a lot more maneuverability, but because of the fact that they've gone almost a full month of the season now with 23 men, they had a brief period where they dropped to 22 when they put Dryden hunt on waivers and the Colorado avalanche claimed him. But then because of injuries, they ended up calling up Julian Gauthier, which put them right back at 23. So, Hart, can you give us a little insight now into how much damage they've done to their cause by carrying 23 for almost a full month of the season now? Yeah. So again, we can just do that math. 750. Let's just say that extra guy is a $750,000 guy. So over 185 days, each day he's counting just over $4,000 against the cap. And when you do the, do the math, um, like that $4,000, Per day is worth $18,000 of deadline cap that they could add. So you end up with um, about $500,000 of annual cap hit that they could have added at the deadline if they had not had that $750,000 player for those 30 days. So maybe I'll say repeat that in a little bit different way. Having an extra guy has cost them the ability to add about $500,000 more cap hit at the trade deadline. So if we figured that the Rangers at 22 men would have projected to have about $4 million in cap space at the trade deadline because of this first month of the season where they've mostly carried 23. We're now probably looking at if they can get down to 22 soon, which I, I believe they want to do. They're now probably looking at more like 3.5 million at the trade deadline. So that's a fairly significant difference. Now you could still add a player who's going to make a, a pretty good impact for you at 3.5, but a lot of these dream scenarios, like people talk about Patrick Kane all the time, it's going to make it much more difficult for them to pull off a move like that. The way I see it, Patrick Kane, who makes 10.5, if you could convince the Chicago Blackhawks to retain half of that, that would put him at 5.25. The Rangers still have no chance of pulling off that move unless they can find another th team right. and make it a three-team deal that would take on a, another chunk of Kane's salary. So they've really, they're really in a spot where I think a move like that heart is going to be difficult for them to pull off. Um, yeah, a couple things there. So yeah, so to your point, if today they 
went they moved to 750,000 player down and went with 22. Um, they would project to finish the season at 791,000 of cap space, which means that at the deadline, with no other moves at the deadline, they could add 3.48 million of cap hit, annual cap hit. One thing to keep in mind, though, is it's not necessarily like even, even with right now, they have they could add 766 of the deadline. It doesn't necessarily have to be for one whole player. You could you could add that to an existing player's cap and replace them, right? So you mm -hmm. could take like a, you know, even if they made no other moves with the seven sixty six, you could take a two million dollar cap it player and you could add a two point seven million dollar cap it player, right? So you're not necessarily adding a body; you're going to be adding it to an existing roster spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, three point four eight if they went down to twenty two, that they could do some damage. One thing I would say though with Patrick Kane is, I don't think it's that. Um, hard to envision a scenario where they there is a third team involved um, to to take a quarter of the cap hit, and that's because of uh, Patrick Kane's contract. He already received a four million dollar signing bonus. He only gets uh, two point nine million in salary this year, right? So just it's the same math that we talked about: two point nine million of salary. If a team is going to retain a quarter of it, that's seven hundred twenty five thousand of salary for the full season, right? But at only 42 days remaining, in real dollars, it's going to cost someone $165,000 of cash if they retained a quarter of Patrick Kane at the trade deadline. That's not a lot of money for an NHL team. So that means like the Rangers could get them at a $2.6 million cap hit if they pay a, a, a team other than Chicago to retain. And as we've seen at past deadlines, um, in real dollars for about a couple hundred thousand of, of actual cash. I think it's I, there was somewhere it was three, four hundred thousand of actual cash. It was costing about a, a fourth round pick, fourth or fifth round pick. So again, you have to find a willing party and someone that wants to help. But I don't think it's going to cost more than a fourth or fifth round pick at the most to get a third team involved around the trade deadline on Patrick Kane. So back to the scenario you laid out. If they can get themselves down to having, you know, being able to add three, three and a half million of annual capital at the deadline, there would be room for Patrick Kane if they um, got a third team involved. And also if if they if he was replacing a $750,000 player on the roster too, you then you're really, you know, you're really only adding just under three million of capital. So, uh, uh, sorry, just under two million of capital. So I wouldn't say that dream is dead. I think it's very much alive. The, the key for them will be, getting that roster down to only having 22 players instead of 23 and doing it pretty quickly. Yeah, that, that is absolutely the key. That's interesting the way you lay that out about what it will cost NHL teams in actual dollars. And, and that's why we had Jeff Merrick on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago. And he echoed the same thing that it shouldn't be that difficult to find a third team because of that. But that is the only way the Rangers are going to be able to pull this off. They cannot do a straight up deal with the Blackhawks for only 50% retained, given their current cap situation and the pace that they're on as far as far as the accrual. But again, to your point, and, and this is the point that I've been hammering for quite a while now, they need to get down to 22 as soon as possible to open up, whether it's Kane or other possibilities, because what we're seeing right now is a team that I think at minimum is going to want to add one top nine forward might be interested in a defenseman there are holes to fill if they're going to accomplish the goals that they have. And that's why I think this accrual conversation is really important for the Rangers right now. And that's why I hope this is helping everyone gain a better understanding, even as we're throwing a lot of different numbers at you heart. While I have you, I want to ask you about this too, just 
to kind of put it in perspective of the league and maybe other teams, the flat cap we know has, has screwed things up for a lot of teams. Like the Rangers, for example, when they gave out big contracts to Artemi Panarin and Jacob Truba, they expected the overall cap number to be higher than it is right now. COVID hit. We had a flat cap for a few years in a row. And now what the Rangers have is a situation where over 70% of their available cap space is tied up in just eight players. Now, is that as far as you can tell, because you're much more well-versed in the cap stuff around the league than I am, is that pretty standard? Like are a lot of the the better teams in the league finding themselves in this situation right now where it's, it's really difficult for them to add players because they're so tight up against the cap. Yeah. I I think it's very common, especially for good teams. I mean, we've got, I mean, right now we have 15 teams projected to finish over the cap, meaning they're going to use LTIR. Um, And we have another, let's see, one, two, three, four teams projected to finish within 400,000 of the cap. So you've got like two thirds of the league are basically like at the cap over the cap using LTIR. Now some of these LTIR teams, like they have some that they can add because they have players out for the season, but no, I mean, it's, it's pretty common. The league is pretty capped out um, across, across the board. And the other thing that doesn't get talked about as much as a consequence of the, of the flat cap and so many teams being in LTIR are performance bonus overages. So um, if, if a team does not have cap space at the end of the season to accommodate performance bonuses that players earned, those count as a cap charge the following year. So if a team uses LTIR and finishes over the cap, then just by definition, they wouldn't have room for those bonuses. And so we had a lot of teams this year, like from last year, um, being charged this year um, for perform- performance bonus overages. So that's already sucked out a bunch of league-wide cap space. Next year, I mean, let's just put aside the the potential that it jumps up the four or five million if they really hit the projections. But if it only goes up another million, again, we're we already have 15 teams in LTAR finishing over the cap. You know, you could see, and we're you know not even a month into the season, we could easily see 16, 18 teams, and a vast majority of those have players that are going to have performance bonuses. So you're talking, you know, again, half the league is probably going to have some of that one million dollar increase going next year taken out by performance bonus overages. And so and that's something for the Rangers to consider too. I mean, they're not in the situation like before where they had tons of performance bonuses, but they still have, you know, 3.7 million of potential bonuses on the roster. Um, you know, so a guy like Schneider or Miller, right? Um, Lafreniere, like those, those could come, if the capital only goes up 1 million next year, you could easily lose all that and then maybe even more for performance bonus overages. So that's another thing that's kind of chewing up cap space around the league the the the, as far as next year because this is a really interesting thing that i know every gm around the league is anxiously awaiting a final answer on the the cap went up one million this year which is the first time that it had moved in quite a while and then next year originally was reported widely that it only go up another million dollars for next season. But now we had Gary Bettman come out and say, well, if the, if the players could finish off paying off escrow, I think before next season, correct? Yeah. By and the end of the season. Yeah. Then there's a chance that it would ju- make a much more significant jump by potentially four or 5 million. Now that would make Chris Drury and a lot of others do <laughs> cartwheels. I mean, as far as what you can tell, what are the chances of that right now? I, I mean, like league-wide revenues, that's something that you kind of just have to go with public reports. But I've seen, you know, guys like Elliot Friedman and, and others say they're, they've been hearing it. There's 
people are somewhat skeptical not to say that it can't happen because like this last year the league exceeded the revenue projections and what Gary Bradman was really saying is if they exceed the revenue projections by not a crazy amount that's then the escrow balance would be paid off so it's not it's not impossible uh, it sounds to me like it's you know I wouldn't even put it at 50 50 from what you're hearing but it's still it's still possible and the reason why it has such a big impact on the cap is basically in that in the new CBA it's pretty simple formula if the players still owe escrow to the owners uh, which came from the 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 COVID impacted seasons it can only go up 1 million if it gets paid off then that then it's the normal formula of how the salary cap is calculated and that's why it would lead but where the revenues would have to be for that escrow balance to be paid off you can just do the math and, and that would give a natural cap increase of, of about like say four million so it's really they got to get this uh the this escrow balance paid off and once that's done then it's just like the normal calculations that we had for many years of how the salary cap is calculated um part of what will lead the revenues to increases in that is in the new us tv deal um the the how much the networks pay goes up each year it's not a flat amount each year so just from that contract you know that leads to the the cap going up a little bit and then you know we've already seen some of the jersey ads and helmet ads but it but you, not all teams are doing it like for both home and away helmet and jerseys we expect to see more of that and even the teams that are already doing it they're signing short-term deals i think that the thinking is that the value of that is going to increase as teams see you know how or teams and advertisers see how that goes so I think those are all the factors that are lead why they think that the projections might increase. Um, but worst case, if it doesn't get paid off this this year, it's going to be the following year. And there's going to be, again, uh, a really big increase because now you kind of have two years of, of revenue growth without it being reflected in the cap. So if we only go up one million next year, you know, we could be looking at five to eight or nine million like the following year. It could be a, a huge jump. So then there's questions like we saw that happen in the NBA a few years ago, and there are all these crazy contracts that that got handed out you know again you would think both both sides would be interested in a little bit of smoothing it out um but you know that that would require some cooperation so we'll have to see if that would happen yeah well i think i think for all parties involved the hope is that they would have it paid off by the end of this season yeah that would be best i mean for gms it would give them much more flexibility for players it would increase salaries and for fans it would allow you to dream a little bit bigger about what your teams can do in the off season and who they can bring in and who they can add. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Hart, I, this is informative. I really, really appreciate it. Hopefully now when I talk about accrual, everyone will know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> if not, I'll come back to you with some follow-up questions, but I appreciate the time. Definitely check, check out all the good work that he does through Puckpedia, both at the website and on Twitter. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime down the line. Thanks a lot. Appreciate having me on. And we're back. Thanks to Hart for taking the time to come on the show and answer all of my questions. Hope that stuff wasn't too far in the weeds for you guys, but glad we were able to lay it all out. Also glad that Hart brought his calculator. We realized right before we started recording, as I was telling him a couple of things I wanted to ask him about, that we should probably make sure we had all the math done beforehand. So glad we got to do that. I hope you guys came out of it with a better understanding of all of this stuff and, and why it's something that I keep harping on and why it's something that I think the Rangers internally are very much talking about on a daily basis. And it's something that we're going to monitor throughout the year. So 
Hopefully this answered some of your frequently asked questions and gave you guys a good idea of where this all is heading. I also wrote a story where I dove into a lot of these scenarios and the projections and and where they stand and what their options are that went up on the website on Wednesday morning. So definitely go check that one out if you get a chance. And if you have any follow-up questions, if you're still confused about anything, definitely feel free to reach out to me. And if I can't answer it, I'll just text Hart and ask him to answer it. So pretty nice to have a guy like that to use as a resource. And again, the website is great. So definitely go check out Puckpedia when you get a chance and if you want to play around with some of these numbers on your own. So that was a pretty good interview with Hart and lengthy and the opening segment that I did, I didn't even realize I was just talking. And I think there's so much going on with the team right now that I just was sort of ranting and lost track of time. It was long. So I'm going to try to wrap things up in a relatively timely manner, although those of you who listen frequently know that brevity isn't always my thing. We'll see how this goes, but I am going to quickly try to dive into your questions here. And we will start with Drew Way, who wrote in, has a couple of charts attached to this question as well. He asked if there's any insight into Gallant, Drury, and company, how they feel about the balance between developing players at the NHL level and needing to win now, specifically with regards to the third pair of Schneider and Jones that, at least according to most of the analytics, has really struggled at times. Well, Drew, I I definitely agree that those guys have had their moments and had their struggles, I actually was looking at the D-pair stuff earlier today, specifically because I wanted to look at Miller and Truba. And I believe that Jones and Schneider, as a pair, have an expected goal rate of like 55%. So I don't know how bad I would classify the analytics as far as those two together. I know that they have been outscored, but again, the entire Rangers team has been outscored. They have allowed more goals than they have scored, particularly at 5 on five so far this season. So that might skew things a little bit. There's definitely growing pains with those guys. And maybe you could look at certain situations where the Rangers rushed guys to the NHL when they should have given them a little more time to marinate in the minors. But in this case, I'm not so sure for a couple reasons. Number one, Jones played an entire season in the AHL last year. So how long are you going to let him sit there before you give him a chance to move up and give him a chance to play at the NHL level? I mean, at some point, I always feel like with these prospects, the only way that you're going to find out how good they can be at the NHL level is by letting them play at the NHL level. So I don't know if I would have looked at it as a good decision to send Jones down and let him continue to play in the AHL. Again, he did that for a full season last year, paid his dues, I think earned his way up. Schneider spent less time with Hartford, no doubt about it. And I think in his case, you could argue there was a little bit more of a rush to get him up. But it's also necessitated by the Rangers' current depth on defense. They have their top four settled and set. We talked about the ups and downs with with Miller and Truba in particular so far this season, but those top four guys are locked in with Miller, Truba, Lindgren, and Fox. But after that, 
what do you have? You know, I know fans don't want to see Libor Hayek play a whole lot. I know fans didn't want to see Jared Tenorti play a whole lot before he got claimed on waivers by the Blackhawks. You look down in Hartford, there's veteran guys like Ben Harper and Andy Walensky. I don't think those guys have proven at any point in their careers that they should be NHL regulars. Those are just depth pieces. Those are veteran guys that you sort of break glass in case of emergency. What the Rangers do have is, especially in that period from 2019 to 2021, they drafted a lot of young defensemen. And, or actually, I should say probably 2018, because that's when they got Miller and Lundqvist to 2020 when they drafted Schneider. So maybe that's the three-year window we should, we should point out. But they drafted a lot of young defensemen that they had high hopes for. And the point of drafting those guys and stockpiling that talent was hoping that some of them would rise to the top and become NHL players for you. So we've reached that point with a lot of these prospects where it's time to find out what you have in them. And so would they be better served by logging more AHL time and really dominating at that level before they get to the NHL? I think it probably depends on the individual player. And if you see that a guy is really, really struggling then I think you should consider sending him down. And between the two, Schneider and Jones, I actually think that Jones has probably had more pronounced struggles than Schneider to this point. But I also think that you don't want to pull the plug too early. Confidence can be a very fragile thing for these young players. And I think you want to give them enough of a leash to draw a conclusion. You don't want to be too hasty with these things. Last year, the Rangers had Nils Lundqvist. They played him for 25 games, and then they decided to send him down. And I think there were mixed reviews about that. Did they pull the plug on him too early? Obviously, it fractured the relationship. Obviously, it led to the Lundqvist trade request. So it's an imperfect science, if you ask me. But as far as who are the six best defensemen that the Rangers can put on the ice right now, we know who the top four are. And then after that, I think, in my opinion, and I'm guessing in the opinion of a lot of fans, Schneider and Jones are probably the guys that you would have five and six because you don't really want to play Libor Hayek too much. Although I do, this is kind of a side note, but I do have a little bit of a feeling that with Lindgren coming back into the lineup, I actually think Hayek played fairly well in his couple starts. I don't think I saw any glaring mistakes from him. I thought he handled the puck pretty well. I thought physically he gives you a little bit more than Jones. Obviously, he's a bigger guy, and we talked about the issues that the Rangers have had with clearing the crease and clearing the slot and being physical in those areas of the ice. I would not be surprised if Jones ends up being the scratch in Detroit and Hayek stays in the lineup. I wouldn't be surprised if they go the opposite way either, but again, I think We know they had the issue with Jones where they decided to bench him in the third period on Sunday and they kept playing Hayek in that situation. So my sense of the coaching staff right now is that they like the way Hayek is playing better than Jones. But in the long run, as far as evaluating these guys and who you can foresee as being part of the solution, Jones, there's more talent there. And and he's a guy that I think you're going to want to play. You're going to want to let him work through some of the kinks. And you're going to want to see what you have in him and and feel like by the end of the season, you have a good grasp on, is this guy someone that is part of our plans moving forward? Or do we need to go in a different direction? And let's not forget, 
this is the last year of Jones's entry-level contract as well. So there's a lot of factors here, but I think given the organizational depth right now, Schneider and Jones are probably your best options for that bottom pair, and you're going to expect some growing pains. But I do think that both guys have also shown growth. I think Schneider has definitely been better in my eyes recently. Jones has been a little more up and down, but this is a guy who, even though he isn't technically a rookie, this is really like a rookie season for him. So the results aren't usually going to be immediate with these guys, as we've seen with several different prospects. And while we could talk about instances in the past where maybe guys have been rushed, and I do think that there are some cases of that, I think in the the situation the Rangers are in right now with their defense, I don't see sending either one of those guys down, at least at this point in the season, as the right thing to do. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from David S. 36, who wrote, this is another defense question, the Rangers defensive depth has been tested so far. Is there a name or a list of names of possible trade targets or signings to improve the defenseman depth? So this kind of works perfectly coming off of Drew's question. If you do feel that Schneider and or Jones is hurting you or needs more development time and they need to be sent down, you don't in-house right now have any replacements that you feel great about unless you're going to let Libor Hayek play for an extended stretch. Maybe, ultimately, what's going to happen is the Rangers are going to look at the situation and say, we need to bring in a bottom pair defenseman. We need to make a trade. That, I think, is very plausible. I think it's something that they would have liked to have done prior to the season, but the cap space restricted them from being able to do so. They weren't able to do anything besides a PTO, which we saw with Matt Bartkowski, and obviously that didn't work out. So moving forward, I I do think it's becoming more of a possibility that they might want to target a defenseman at the trade deadline. I I don't have an obvious name for you right now, and, and one of the complicating factors is what we just talked about with Hart. In my eyes, the biggest hole on this team is at right wing and needing one more top nine forward who they can slot in to make this lineup feel like it has more balance. And to me, that remains the number one priority at the trade deadline. And even in a best case scenario, if the Rangers get down to 22 players as soon as possible and they're able to accumulate around three and a half million dollars, like we talked about with Hart in in space at the trade deadline, is three and a half million dollars going to be enough to go out and acquire a forward and a defenseman? I'm not so sure, unless you're hunting in the bargain barrel. You know, if you want to aim high, if you want to talk about Patrick Kane or Vladimir Tarasenko or even some forwards that make in that two to three, three and a half million dollar range, well, that's going to eat up a lot of your cap space. And the only defensemen that you're going to be able to look at are guys who are low level salary guys. And is that going to be an obvious upgrade? It's possible. There could be guys out there who exist, but I think any defenseman the Rangers bring in via trade is going to have to be a guy who does not make a lot of money. So you're not going to go out there and get some high-level, all-star, established player for the kind of cap space that the Rangers are going to have to work with. So I think it's very possible they target a defenseman, but I think it's going to be more of a depth defenseman 
a low-paid guy, an under-the-radar name, as opposed to anything that's going to be a big splash. The Rangers are going to have to roll for the most part with the defensemen that they have, and then maybe you bring in a Justin Braun type, which is what they did last year. You find a veteran guy who doesn't make a lot of money, and, and you have him as an option to plug in on that bottom pair. But if you're... If you're looking at this from an optimistic standpoint, what you have to hope for is that Jones and Schneider get better as the season goes on and solidify that bottom pair role, and then you don't have to worry about it. But I I do think it's something the Rangers will end up considering, and given their history in the trade deadline last year, would not surprise me at all if a defenseman is, is, is an area that they try to address at the upcoming deadline. All right, let's get to one final question here. This one comes from Will Wright who wrote, I don't want Gallant to lose his job and don't think he is to blame for the up and down start, but what do you think it would take for Drury to get there? Or do you think a trade of some sort would come first? Yes, to the second part of the question, I do think that it's much more likely that we see the Rangers try to give this team a boost with a trade. A coaching change is an absolute long shot in the middle of the season I think the only fair thing to do with any coach in any sport is a minimum of two seasons. I think three is probably a more realistic sample size to really pass a full judgment on whether that coach is the right guy for the job. Obviously, there are going to be some situations where maybe after two years, you decide to pull the plug. And if the Rangers miss the playoff this year, then I think it would be something that would be discussed internally. But for them to think about an in-season change after the success that Gallant had last year, leading that team to the Eastern Conference Final, there would have to be a total collapse. Like we'd have to get to Christmas time, New Year's Eve, and they'd have to be well below 500, well out of the playoff picture, losing multiple games in a row. The, the these underlying numbers that we're talking about, where the Rangers are out shooting teams and out chancing teams, those would have to start dipping in the wrong direction. A lot of things would have to go wrong before you're thinking about a coaching change. It is way, way too premature to be having that conversation. And I know, Will, you seem to be saying that you feel that way as well. You're more asking what would it take for that to become a conversation. And again, in my mind, it would have to be a complete meltdown during the season, which I don't think is going to happen, or missing the playoffs and kind of sputtering down the stretch. And then maybe that's a conversation you have in the offseason. But right now, I think Gallant is is fairly secure given the success that he had in the first season. And, you know, I think it's kind of an unfair conversation to have, quite frankly, at this point. It's only a month into the season. Things don't look as as great as you'd like them to. The record doesn't look the way that you would like it to. But you got to give him and more importantly, the players, an opportunity to right the ship before you start considering wholesale changes like that. Are you looking at this team and saying, hey, they could really use a top nine forward or they could maybe use a depth defenseman? Yeah, I think that was obvious to us even before the season started. But as far as as something major, like a coaching change, we're a long, long, long way from that becoming a conversation, even though as I scroll through these questions, I see that Will was not the only guy asking about that. So I wanted to address it. I I did want to put it out there that this is not something that is being talked about by any stretch of the imagination right now. I don't think it's something that would be talked about for quite a while. And anything in season would be an absolute shock. Again, it would have to be a total, 
total meltdown. And we're nowhere close to that at this point. So with that, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks to Hart Levine from Puckpedia. Thanks to everybody who submitted questions. Thanks to everybody who listened. Listen, it's interesting times right now. We want to see how this team is going to handle adversity. They handled it really well last year. And now we're only a month into the season, but they already have this little bit of a wake-up call happening right now. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what these guys are made of and how they respond. We're going to find out in the coming weeks. They got a quick road trip to Detroit and Nashville this weekend, come home from one game on Sunday, and then next week we'll be traveling to the West Coast. I'm excited to see Seattle for the first time and spend a couple days in California as well. I will be back then. I actually think my next episode I will be recording from Seattle. So I will check in with you guys then. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Try to enjoy the hockey, and I will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.